back to episode 173 of Tall Boy Radio. And as we always say, who knows where it goes when the beer flows. Now, interesting episode tonight, no guests and a limited number of hosts, but it's all good because we have something very interesting to discuss with you. We're going to be looking at some of the wisdom in inverted commas that is taken from social media these days. So, without further ado, I'll hand over from the socially awkward to the antisocial. Dave, how are you doing? Thanks for that introduction, Adam. Yeah, I think I'll probably tick both those boxes, to be honest. Um, yeah, I wasn't sure which way to go for either of us, to be honest. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, good to be here. I think it's the first time I've ever recorded with just the two of us, so I can't yeah, I recall think, another one. I th- no, fully enough, we I think we did. This is a while ago now. We did one on conspiracy theories where we, we looked at what makes a conspiracy theory. And it is. No, 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 no. We'll get too upset about this now. Andy and Gaz, one of our more popular episodes. <laughs> Can't remember it now. No, neither can I. I don't remember too much about it, but I don't think we put much to bed. So before we start off tonight, I do just want to give a quick shout out. And that is to a previous guest's wife. So a couple of episodes ago, we had Bo and his friend Kevin on. And if you go down to our website, the bottom of the website, we've mentioned it before on the homepage, tallboyradio.com, below the bit where Bo recorded his message for us, you will see there's a little bit where you can buy us a beer. And Kevin's good lady wife, Denise, was goodly enough to go and buy us several beers. So thank you very much for that. If you want to do the same, it's all good. It was fine. You want to? We we won't buy beer out of it, just for the record. The idea is half goes to charity and half gets reinvested back into the podcast to do stuff with. However, we have never reinvested a penny back. It has all gone to charity. You will be pleased to know. One last shout out again before I go. Apologize for keeping you all hanging on the edges of your seat. So Matt from Winding River joined us a couple of episodes ago. And we've shared on social media, I've tried it as well, the gin that he made for us, the Tall Boy Radio gin. Have you tried yours yet, Dave? Uh, not yet. No, I'm saving it for if and when I decide to start drinking alcohol again. Oh, interesting. Well, this, this is a full bottle. I haven't just put water in it. This is Andy's bottle. I'm seeing him on the weekend, so we'll be having it then. If you want to get yourself a bottle of Tallboy Radio Gin in the miniature form, of course, you can buy it. It's going to be on sale at the All Sager Carnival. So the 17th of June in All Sager, the only place it is ever going to be available in all likelihood. You get yourself over towards Matt. We're going to get some other stuff ordered. So if you're going to buy a miniature, then we're going to chuck in some beer mats and some stickers and that kind of stuff that you can have as well. But you too, if you if you're if you're that way inclined, can also try a little miniature of Tall Boy Radio Gym. And I can tell you this, it is exceptionally, exceptionally good. It's got the strong taste of coriander in it that the All Sage Gin has, but it's a different recipe to that. Tell you what, Dave, you will enjoy it. Do you like strong flavour gins like that? Or are you more of a more of a sweet don't man? Drink, don't drink spirits, to be honest, at all. There you go. I I had a, Perno was my, uh, was my thing that ended about 30 years ago when it went very wrong. Over yeah. one excessive night. If that's on the All Sage Carnival, that's going to be, uh, it's not going to last very long, is it? It's going to sell out. It gets busy down there. I would imagine so. I hope so. I do hope a few people will buy it, especially if you're listeners to Tallboy Radio. Go over there and make us look slightly more popular than we are with Matt. It would be greatly appreciated. That, Where will it be? On what stand? The Winding River, Winding River Distillery. So, yeah, you'll sit there. Where exactly that's going to be amongst the carnival is yet to be decided, but. He will also have some of his excellent products there as well. He'll have the All Sage GG, and that's going to be on sale there. And actually, this is going to be too late for when this goes out, but it's also in the Sandbatch Makers Market this coming Saturday, which is the 13th of May. I will be there. So if you listen to this, you've just missed your opportunity. <laughs> yeah, last Saturday, folks. <laughs> that's it. it was last Saturday. Well done. But nonetheless, get along to the carnival. You will enjoy it. So. Social media, Dave, you on many social media platforms just to have interest. I'm on a few, but only for work purposes in the main. I don't regularly post on, I don't post on any of them other than if I'm doing it for either the football club or work. So you aren't one of these people who doom scroll then? Who do what, sorry? <laughs> this, is going, it's going to be, this is going to be an eye-opening episode for you. Doom scroll, literally sit there and flick and then refresh, flick and refresh till something new comes up, sending memes out to your friends and stuff like that. 
No, I mean, my life's pretty sad, but it's not that sad. <laughs> You'd be surprised at the, the amount of people that do. And I do include myself in that bracket because I've got a bit of a bad habit of doing it myself. And I, if you listen to this, Andy, when you listen to it back, he knows he does it himself. I can literally tell you when Andy's on the toilet because he'll send me about 40 memes. And I do exactly <laughs> the same to him. So we know, we know each other's toileting habits. And what we're going to do to what we're going to do tonight is that none of these clips or anything that Andy sent me just before you turn off the the episode right now. So I've got a few clips from social media. Most of these are names you will know, Dave, even without being on social media. One of them you perhaps won't. You know, we'll be honest. You can you can tell us if you did or you didn't know. But we're going to play a few clips of videos that they've put out on social media. Other people regularly share. So we're going to start off what now? I won't tell you who they are. We'll discuss who they are afterwards because that might, I don't want to influence you in terms of what we are listening to before you say it. So here's the first clip then from social media. How can you have energy companies that profit when there's an energy crisis, military industrial complex that profits when it's a war, pharmaceutical companies that profit when there's a pandemic? You're creating the necessity for ongoing crisis. If the elites in the society benefit from situations that are detrimental to everybody else, that's what reality is going to become. That's what reality has become. Do you recognize the voice, first of all? I do. It sounds like a, a singer. No, but he did play a singer in a movie. It's Russell Edward Brand. Russell Brand. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, you must be familiar yeah. with him. Well, he's obviously famous for his stand-up comedian work. He's played. He's acted in a number of films. He's been a fairly successful man, married Katy Perry, which I would consider a success. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and since then, obviously, he now has a YouTube and a Rumble channel where he shares... His opinions and facts, if you will, people will dispute them, but there are always two sides to every fact. There's a side that they want you to hear and the side that someone else wants you to hear. Somewhere in the middle, perhaps, lies the truth. So what he's discussing there, did, did that resonate with you at all? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's going for sensationalised media um, and politicians and uh, people that have a particular drum to bang, um, setting out a message so loud that they think it's the truth because they're shouting loud about it. Yeah, and obviously there's been a few... We're not going to be caught in a ban, but there's been a few stories in the news recently where that has either been accused or it's been prevalent, depending on your opinion. And he's one of those who gladly shares his opinions on most. So things like the pandemic, Things like vaccines and what have you. Not just that, he looks all sorts. You know, the the war in Ukraine, you know, whether it's a proxy war or not, those are not my words. These are what are discussed on social media. And this is what he's saying, you know, when you think about it, these when you do have people who profit from war, when you do have huge drug companies that profit from you taking their vaccines or any other product you could care to mention there's a danger that their advice to you to do that or to go along with it for example in the terms of the drug companies or in terms of the war where we're brought into the idea of getting behind our country and backing the backing them against the bad guy when people are profiting from that we know ourselves that when you profit from something you can be a little bit biased towards the outcome can't you and this is what he's saying there is he being sensationalist I think so. Yeah, because he's, he's putting a very extreme view, isn't he? I mean, I, I, without the context of the, the whole conversation, mm. it's hard to know if, if he then went on to be balanced. But it didn't sound like he was going to go on to be balanced from the introduction. But it's a difficult one because you, you know, you're quite right that that when something's going wrong, companies make money. But equally, if you didn't have those companies there making the money, then you wouldn't have the companies to build the arms for countries to defend themselves, or attack, or to have vaccines to protect themselves or not, depending on your viewpoint. But either way, if the end outcome is good, if you didn't allow them to profit, then they wouldn't be there to do the good in the first place. Yeah, I agree with that. We'll leave the vaccine one where it is because it's a thorny issue because there is two sides of the story and the truth isn't known. You know, at the moment, I would still class it as opinion, like Dave says. 
there are those who are very much against it and those who are very much for it. And you've got the evidence to prove both ways. And this is the challenging one with that one. So we're going to leave that one where it is. But in terms of war, just it's just interesting what you said there. You know, in terms of you need you need the the finances to create the weapons to defend against the guys who have created the weapons to attack us. Now, the perspective may be of those in Iraq when we were in there and we liberated those folks from that evil Saddam Hussein and nobody's doubting he was not a very pleasant man. But we categorically went in there probably to profit from the oil that they had, if we're going to be quite honest about it. And it's a bit of a concern. Who really was the bad guy when, it, when we look at the, this, that second Iraq war, for sure, anyway? Because the likes of George Bush, the likes of Tony Blair, he might, if you're going to be strong, you want to be sensationalist, but I'd say potentially are war criminals in terms of what they did. They lied about there being weapons of mass destruction. They knew damn well they weren't there, and they lied to go in there and, and get, you know, and acted upon their own agenda, which wasn't shared. We were... Again, like you say, using the media to sway our opinion to say, get him, get Saddam, that bad man, these dangerous weapons that he's got. Get, take that pointed stick off him and get him out that hole. Absolutely. Uh, but, and you're probably right, it's about uh, protecting the oil because, and I suppose what's happening now with Russia and Ukraine kind of supports that viewpoint because they didn't want some kind of world crisis being held hostage by fuel. And, and, and if you make something up to create a war to present, prevent something potentially even worse in the big picture, is that a bad thing? I mean, ultimately, these governments of the world have got to act on the best interests of, of their own countries or globally. Do you think now, we have a difference of opinion when it goes for the, the party that we choose to vote for, or I very nearly wore my Fuck the Tories t-shirt tonight, but I, 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 I chose not to. I didn't want to be too... Didn't want to be too partisan, but is is there a danger that sometimes with the likes of certain politicians on both sides of the fence, all sides of the argument, the 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 profiteering and the the stuff that they do is purely for their own gain? Yeah, it's a career, it's a job, and most people form a career or take a job because they do it for the money, and that's you know that's doing it. It's a sad fact that most people probably don't enjoy their job. Most the majority are probably fairly neutral to it, I would say, but mm. an awful lot of people don't enjoy it. A few people enjoy it, and, and that's that's brilliant, but most people are in it because they need the money. And politicians are, on the whole, probably no different. They don't do it purely for the good of their constituency, their countries. Otherwise, they do it and say, no, I don't want my salary, or donate it all to charity or something. So they're obviously in it for the money. And once you accept they're in it for the money, then if they use their status as a politician to earn more money, as long as it doesn't impede on their ability to do their job and as long as everything's properly declared, I don't see an issue with that. I, I get annoyed when people get criticised for doing other things and people say, you should be focusing on your constituencies. Well, what if they're spending 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week on their constituencies and then they spend the odd Saturday doing some talks and earning 50 grand? I don't see a problem with that at all. No, I know what you're saying, from. I think what people mainly take umbrage with is when they then give contracts to people to produce PPE for the last year of just been selling insurance or something different like that. And I've got no experience in it, whereas there are other folks out there who produce PPE for hospital, have been doing so for years, but aren't in the back pocket of those politicians naming nobody. Well, you're, you're, you're characterising situations as though that was done from the outset to be bad, when in reality, there could have been some cases of that. But I suspect on the whole, that the politicians were incredibly stressed, particularly the ones in the government who are responsible for protecting us against what could be at the time seen as a global pandemic that was going to kill millions and millions, even billions of people around the world. And they had to do absolutely everything possible, quickest speed possible to get what we needed. And if if they had somebody in their phone book or somebody contacted them and said, I can do this. And, you know, the option is, OK, I trust that guy to do it and let's just do it and get it. Or I go to some kind of tender process and I do tenders for work and they are absolutely torturous. They're incredibly time consuming and that they're not fair. So that they're corrupt in the, in the way they work anyway. So they know that. So they've got two options. Go with someone they trust who says they can do it quick 
or go through a longer process, which might on the surface appear fairer, but actually doesn't deliver for the country when we need it. That's interesting. And to be honest with you, I I know, well, listen, I've said before, I've never had a jab. Well, I have had plenty of jabs, to be honest with you, and it's not related to this particular pandemic recently. And I, and I am not as antagonistic as some are about it who, who sit on that same side of the fence as I do. I genuinely, genuinely agree with you when this first issue was presented to us. I genuinely believe nobody knew how to deal with it. I do feel slightly different to yourself. After that, there are those that realised that there was something that could be profited from. And if they could make some money out of it, well, then they may as well. But in terms of the tender process, I find that very interesting. It's not, not something I've had any experience dealing with. So I, I do take what you say on board with that. My fear is it's not so much we'll get it done quickly. Is this guy's going to stick so many million back in my back pocket because it just so happens I'm a shareholder on the board that he works for, or my brother-in-law is, and where hey, I'll make a little bit of money out of the side of it as well, despite the fact that I know this fella here might take a little bit longer, but guess what? He's been doing it for years and he'll do it properly. That's my concern with him. Yeah, but that would have to. You, that I, I don't. It's hard to believe that someone would genuinely put money in their pocket doing something that that they must know would become public at some point in the future at the expense of, uh, you know, the safety and getting what we need quicker. If they knew that there's two companies and one, and they believed they both could deliver, and one was a much more established company and others a new company, I can't believe that they would just take money in the back pocket as a decision. Interesting. Interesting. I'm inclined to think that it could occur on occasions and the likes of Mr. Matthew Hancock and his text messages, which have come to light, are a concern. Well, yeah, but again, I mean, you, you, yes, there's always going to be people that might do things that are, are on the surface wrong. But the problem is, of course, then you hear the social media rants of, of what's his face earlier. And the implication is that the whole government is corrupt. Every conservative politician is corrupt because one or two from the 300 odd that there are may or may not have done something that was probably a little bit questionable and not thought through properly. Yeah. Does it concern you that those pals, though, his mates make it to the top and the other ones who, who sit on the back benches are a little bit less inclined? I don't know. I, I'm not I've not I've not seen anything from the likes of Boris Johnson, Matt Hancock, Keir Starmer. I've got a lot of faith in him, to be honest with you. The likes of Rishi Sunak. I've got I've got deep concerns about all those people. You know, uh, I think well, who was the lady who was prime minister for a very, very brief spell? Liz Liz Truss. Liz Truss. Yeah, old port market herself. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a euphemism. If you don't know what that means, I'm not being offensive about the lady or her appearance. It's just something that she said. It was quite amusing. Yeah, the, the likes of those, they really, really trouble me. I I don't know. Maybe we'll get onto this in the next episode. As you get a little bit older, I get a little bit more distrustful of people. And I don't know if that's... And I don't think I've got a lot of experience in my life having a reason to distrust people. But, I, yeah, it, it really it really does concern me. Should we move um, on? <laughs> Did yeah, you want to answer yeah. that? <laughs> no, no, no. Your your pause. I wasn't sure whether you were going to move on or uh, look for something else. But yeah, let's move on from politics. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, we're going to go some, down a different route now. So you'll be pleased to hear. Pleased to hear we'll be steering away from politics briefly. But we may just revisit it. So this, this next gentleman. This is a quite a long clip. I don't make no apologies for that. I think it's a really interesting clip as well. I don't want to say long. It's just over a minute. You know, but in social media terms, it really does require attention. Well, it's a minute where we're not talking, so that's a bonus. I found most people don't know who they are. They really don't. What do you mean? I mean, I know my name, I know my age, I know where yeah, I live. Yeah, that's not you, though. You know, that, that, that's know just size, that. If you ask the average person who they are, they'll give you their name. They'll say, I'm Bob Proctor, but I'm not. Bob and Proctor are two words. My parents give them to me. They're called names, but it's not me. It's my name. Then somebody will say, well, this is me, but this isn't me either. It's my body. Like you never phone down here to the to the studio and say body won't be in today. It's sick. Okay. You know we don't say am hand or am leg. It's my hand, my leg, my body, my name. Who am I? 
Well, that's an interesting question. Mm -hmm. And I believe if a person will start to study that and look for the answer, they'll find it. See, I think we live simultaneously on three planes of understanding. We're okay. spiritual creatures, we have an intellect, and we live in physical bodies. Okay. But because we lack awareness or understanding of who we are, we're totally locked into a physical world, and we let things outside of us control us. 95% of the population are reacting to life. They're not really living at all. Apologies for some of the background noise on that clip as well. It is a very, very old clip, but an interesting one. Now, do you know that gentleman's name? Bear in mind, he said it during the clip. Bob Proctor. Hey, his memory hasn't failed him. Well, look, yeah, Bob Proctor. Did you, have you ever heard of Bob Proctor, just out of interest? No. Yeah, he's a Canadian author and self, well, self-help author. But I think that's a really, really interesting one. And it goes back for me to a little bit about what we talked about with the Caterpillar last week, about, <laughs> about what it knows and its destiny, and how it is just purely trundling along the leaf, waiting to turn into a Caterpillar, not knowing really what it has in store, but it just goes along with it anyway. And then that's a little bit about what old Bob is saying there himself in terms of most people don't consider who they really are. They think of themselves as a body and they don't think of them as the, the, the the, the the different entity that there is it isn't just that that body that's presented with you the idea of the name that you're given from birth you know you aren't you're more than just being david cartledge or well, we, prior to date 2013 dave cartledge and uh, you know i am more than just being adam david dickinson no relation to david dickinson before anybody asks but what, what did you make of that quote it's your middle name david my middle name is david yeah What's that? If I knew it, I've forgotten. Yeah. Like, really? It, yeah, has been since birth. Surprised. You didn't change it in 2013. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to change it for later this year. I'll change my middle name to Dave. <laughs> what was your question again? I forgot. No. <laughs> So in, in terms of that, where do you sit with that? You know, there's some people take it to like the nth degree in terms of existing on a spiritual plane as well. So what are your thoughts on that? That when you do think about yourself, and we do, don't we? We think about ourselves as these physical entities, but we really think about ourselves as a, a pocket of flesh with bones and flab, <laughs> certainly in my case, populating it. And then we think about ourselves as our name, and that's our character. A lot of people, if you ask them to tell, you tell me about yourself, the first thing they'll tell you is what they do for a living. That's not who you are. That's what you do to get by and, and do the things you enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just to just to even articulate who you are, because it's not something I've thought about in this context. You can't suddenly think of how I describe who I am. I suppose it's your emotions, a big part of it. It's it's how you conduct yourself, your beliefs. It's all of that sort of stuff. The actions that you actually do are just the outputs of who you are as opposed to actually who you are. Mm. Um, it's it's very deep, I think. It's a very deep statement. This should have this should have been in last week's episode. <laughs> I don't know. I, what's the chances of playing a minute and twenty clip without Gaz interrupting it? Fair point. <laughs> but yeah, Sorry, that, that's that that is there is. I've never thought about it in in that sense, because you do I you know you do tend to just go through life. And you, obviously through life you make your own decisions and, and some people will make a lot more decisions and, and grant themselves a lot more freedom than others. And some people will just absolutely every day is is almost predestined for what they're going to do. And there's very little change. You know, you, you go to school every day, you go to college every day, you get a job, you go to work every day. You may go on holiday once a year at the same time, maybe to the same place. You go to the same club, you have the same friends. And that doesn't mean people aren't happy. But is that really who they are, or is that just a series of events that 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 entity is going through? Yeah, it's it, it's true, isn't it? When it, when you when you actually and to be honest with you, this was one of those clips. So I was doom school, and it stopped, and it really did make me think briefly. You know, and I'm sure the people who listen to this episode hopefully will make you think for a brief while. But I suspect once it's washed over you, we'll go back to doing what it is that we always do. But how much do you feel in control of your own destiny, Dave? Not a huge amount, and, and and the main reason for that is because I've got kids. I think I'm thinking it purely from what I was doing with business and life. It changed drastically as we approached the the time when we wanted to have kids, and that's mainly because me and Catherine are both fairly risk adverse in that sense. 
and the thought of risking stuff to either go on a business or to spend all our money on just doing stuff and not securing the financial stability for our kids as they grow up until they leave home, we're probably too risk adverse. So in a sense, the journey we're on now is very much confined within ensuring that security is there for our kids. Uh, and that that's not necessarily right because lots of people can live a completely sort of free sort of, I don't mean hippie in, in the true hippie sense, but I'm just using that as an analogy to show how yeah. there's a lot more freedom and flexibility about what you do and where you go and come out the other end absolutely fine and in many ways probably happier. But me personally, I just think it's a bit of a journey. When the kids have finished university and we, we tell them that once they go, once they finish university, the house is being sold and we're off. And I think then that will be a kind of, right, let's really understand who we are, what we want to do, where we want to go, me and Catherine together, you know, for, for the rest of our lives. I think that will be a big shift. I hope it will. That's what we kind of think. But we are day-to-day pre-programmed until that point. Interesting. Interesting. You? You, yeah, 100%. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very risk-averse. You know, you know, you said earlier when we spoke, you know, you're very fortunate if you enjoy your job. Now, I started a new job six months ago. And it really, really took a push to take me away from what I've been doing for the best part of 20 odd years. And there was parts of that job that I really, really enjoyed. But the idea of changing it didn't actually, and, and I'd spoken every year when it came up to Christmas, I would say to the wife, next year, I promise, next year, I'm not going to be in retail. Busiest time of the year in food retail is Christmas. And I wanted to change that. I wanted to change that for many, many years and did nothing about it because I was comfortable in what I was doing. I knew the job inside out i knew that i wasn't going to get challenged in many ways i knew everything and i was and i was comfortable now there were times and i really really pissed me off and i wanted to stick two fingers up at my boss and walk out in those moments i couldn't do it prior to having kids i had a mortgage i had bills to pay and you know my wife wasn't on the salary that she's very fortunate to be on now and i'm this close from being a cat man and she's having none of it <laughs> but but in all seriousness you know that and now i had kids you know what i mean it's the first thought in my mind that i i you know at the moment i'm i'm chubbier than i'd like to be and it with with a view to that in, in the past i would have thought i'm happy with that you know what i mean I enjoy your beer i enjoy having a curry i enjoy doing all those things that i know are bad for me but now i start thinking about it i'm getting on in years and i want to be there for them i am an old dad i had my first kid when I was nearly 44, and I have to keep that in mind. I am not in peak physical fitness, and I never, ever have been, and never, ever will be. But I want to be fitter than I am. I want to eat healthier than I am. I want to drink less beer than I have been doing. I am on a little bit of a health kick at the moment, but it is just a little one. And all that is with them in mind. It's with them in mind that I don't want to be the fat old dude with the grey beard who turns up to pick him up at the gates. That's Santa. He does that once a year. <laughs> But you know, Santa I'm, picks your kids up from school. I can't do it. Your <laughs> no, it's still me. It's still me. I just wear a hat. Uh, but, oh shit! Don't listen. If you listen to this, kids, it's not. It's not <laughs> it's, <laughs> but no, but you, you're totally right. You do, and you exist, and you know your kids are going to be flying the coop. You know, well, I hope for your sake, far sooner than I will. And yeah, and that's perhaps when you, you will, you will start. Uh, a living and existing but just out of interest when you were a kid what you know what was the first thing that you can remember everyone wanting to do as a career oh god adam with my memory <laughs> I, I don't i don't think i ever knew what i wanted to do uh, and i still don't there's not something i think i wish i could do that i just fell into what i did and it's just carried me along one thing after another because it's what I did and I could do it reasonably well. Never particularly enjoyed it pretty much entirely for the last 30 years. Never thought, oh, I've really enjoyed that. Fairly neutral to it, ups and downs, but on the whole, it's just a job. And it was always a challenge with what I've been doing. I've not just been stuck in the same job. Monday night or five, it's always been a challenge, which I suppose brings its own rewards in some ways. But no, it, um, I don't know. I'd love to be an author. That sounds quite cool. But that's, you know, that's an opportunity that may come in the future to, to give it a go. But no, no, no particular memory of anything. I didn't want to be a fireman or an astronaut or an airline pilot or whatever the most kids think of being. I want to be a stuntman. <laughs> You're pretty good at falling downstairs. Yeah, it, well, I'm not because <laughs> I did myself a mischief. The idea of a stuntman is not to get injured on the way down. 
Oh, yeah, no, but it looks good. And yeah, it does when the stuntman does it as well, but he's able to walk away without a broken jaw and a broken skull at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. But but even then, though, we, we, we you know, we, we, we talk about ourselves. We talk about what, what we want to. We're talking about the path that life has taken us down. And, you know, I set out on a journey in retail. I remember Dan Wood, who was an area manager, I had a guy I really respected because he was a very thoughtful and intelligent man. Still is. I say I thought he's... <laughs> Bless him. I've seen him recently. He's out there. And he said to me, you know, we were talking about a career in retail. And I was sort of saying, well, it wasn't really what I set out to do. I got offered a job. I started doing it part time when I was at university. And then they offered me a job. And he said, Adam, speak to anybody in retail. Nobody's here because this is the career path that they chose to do. Everybody ended up with it by accident, one way or another. And I thought, do you know what? He's quite right. <laughs> everybody I've spoken to will tell you the path that taught them there. And none of them were intentional. But in terms of yourself, how spiritual are you, Dave? You know, I've I have a belief in religion, not necessarily religion. Sorry, I have a belief in a greater power out there, and I do believe in that, and that I don't understand there's something bigger than me. But that still isn't. I don't necessarily think that's spiritual. Would you say you were spiritual? Um, no, probably not. Not at all. I think. I think faith is a good thing, and even faith in religions that I I don't believe exists at all but i think the idea of faith and people having faith coming together for faith i think that's a marvelous thing and the fact that what they got faith in in my view is not real is irrelevant um but i wouldn't say i was i was spiritual not in any way that i can think of anyway people might look at me from the outside and say well the way you the way you behave the way you act the way you speak to people that's got quite spiritual undertones i've no idea i don't see it myself no, interesting. Interesting. And I wonder if that's something that, that Bob talks about, Bob Proctor there. But he talks about that you being a spiritual entity. And with the likes of Buddhism, I've always had a fascination with Buddhism. And I, and I, and I sort of buy it and I sort of don't. You know what I mean? I'm, a, I'm as skeptic about that kind of religion as I am about any other. But like, same as yourself, totally admire people's faith. And as we talked about last week, actually believing that God didn't create the Big Bang is in itself a little bit of a leap of faith that we are believing that he didn't do. We have to have faith because we don't know. And I just wonder, in terms of Buddhism, that searching for the inner self, that it is, it, can you really be enlightened is the question, or am I such a dull light that I can never be enlightened? Yeah, I mean, what is enlightenment? Is that suddenly your brain suddenly throwing away the cobwebs and the drudgery of your day-to-day -day. and i don't mean that like i'm not miserable i'm very happy in my life but you you don't you just suddenly have this sort of you know vision that things could be so much better or lighter or make you feel happier whatever happiness is i don't know it's i personally i'm not one that has ever significantly changed by events when things happen i don't suddenly react and go right i'm totally changing who i am and what i do now my mind doesn't seem to work like that. i know lots of people that do whether it be a, a health scare or the loss of a loved one or a bad accident and all of a sudden their life is completely changed i not that my life's been littered with these things but it never changed who i am or what i do not that we know who i am because i'm just david in this body but and maybe that's the issue. Maybe that's the answer to the question that I can't see enlightenment or spiritual because I don't think in that way. Well, can anybody, this is the real question, in terms of we're looking to understand something beyond a physical realm when all we know is how we exist in that physical realm and we, we can recognise that our lives have followed a path that we didn't necessarily intend it to take, but we have had some say along the way and we'll never know, we'll never know what could have happened if we'd taken the opposite choices. It's not quantum physics, it's not sliding doors with Gwyneth Paltrow or whatever that film was called, or whoever starred in it, it may not have been her. I apologise, Gwyneth, if it wasn't. But we, we can never know that. And we I don't think we can understand anything outside of a physical realm, and we are just fairly basic monkeys, as is, is, is we're led to believe. <laughs> I think you're right there, and because you can't go back in future, you can't have second chances at, at, at something that happened in a point in time. You can make decisions now, and you could take a different path, and you you could look back and say, "Oh, I could have done this 12 months ago, but I'm going to do it now." But it'll never have the same outcomes, so you, you'll no. never really know what would have been different. Indeed, indeed. Are we ready for another clip? Are we. 
one. We re- you, you, you'll be interested in this one. is the shortest of the clips. It is. It has a political feel to it, but it, it doesn't necessarily... Yeah, it has a political feel. <laughs> Most powerful governments can't solve homelessness or end world hunger, but they can change the Earth's temperature if you pay more taxes. Do you know okay. who that was? No. She's, I, would, I would say that she is the least heard of of all the people who were on there. And it's a lady by the name of Katie, or AKA the incorruptible mama bear on Instagram. She has a number of followers, and she is an American social media coach and controversial voice. So what do you think that, that she has to say there? And what do you think about her words? You know, there's plenty of money to go around. Was it poverty she mentioned? Mm. Yeah, we, we, we can't... It, not just in the UK, US, wherever, there are a number of countries which are a little bit disadvantaged and maybe we could look at our foreign policy that, that has contributed to or prevented their growth. We'll leave that for another day. But in the US, the UK, for example, there is homelessness and there is poverty. Yet there is also, as we've just seen in terms of the coronation, which costs £125 million for one day, extreme wealth. Yeah, that, that is there's always going to be a challenge and... And it's very difficult because you're you're into it's not just it's not just a simple thing of of going around to a very homeless person and saying, Well, rather than spending that hundred and twenty five million, we could have spent ten grand on on putting you in some accommodation for the next twelve months. Because a lot of people don't want to. They're there for multiple reasons. It's not just for lack of money. There's there's mental health addictions and all sorts of things. So even if the money was there, you're not gonna be able to help everybody back to what you would sense as a normal a normal existence but equally there is a huge amount of wealth that is top heavy but it's the top heavy which feeds into capitalism and all of that which the argument is that if you don't have those drivers at the top then you don't get the wealth throughout the whole structure and i think capitalism gets a bad rub on the whole although it probably is a bit extreme in some cases yeah, I, I, I would say so. I would say so. And I totally agree with you now that if I, you know, we had that 125 million placed in our hands, not for us to keep and go and donate. And we went around the streets of Britain and handed it to people and said, here, go make a difference. It would make no difference whatsoever. Because, of, well, it would for some. I'm being disrespectful when yeah. I say that. But I think you know what I'm saying. A lot of people, like you say, when they're dealing with addiction, was, well, that's great. I've got the next four pack of special brew and the next bag of coke or what have you but the, the trouble is and we, we talked about it a little bit in the last segment there that life has that made put these people where they are whether that's through their choice they haven't chosen to be homeless they've made some bad choices which has ended up with them being homeless and then maybe the final decision was to go homeless because it's it was better than the alternative and I just feel there's money to be used elsewhere than keeping, say, for example, one family in seven palaces. I don't know what it costs. And yes, you can put the argument of tourism, which is all going to make more, people are already rich, much richer. I, I just, it, it makes, it makes, it doesn't sit right with me. And what do I do about it? Well, do you know what? I do buy sandwiches for the homeless. I don't give them money. If I, if there's any, I hate, and I hate, I apologize for bringing this up now because I've actually gone down a route I didn't intend to do, actually. But it really pisses me off when people share social media videos of themselves handing over money to, don't fucking put it on social media, which I'm guilty of doing as I speak now. But it's something I've done for years and I choose to and I'll continue to do about it. And this is the one time I'll mention it because I know that will help them for that small moment in time. And it just makes me very, very uncomfortable in terms of actually there there is a means to dealing with poverty that I don't think that we are dealing with well enough in terms of that we're normalizing a cost of living crisis and then saying, you know, these bloody energy bills, they're terrible, aren't they? It's well, the price of energy has gone up on it. Hang on a minute, Shell made 29 billion the last quarter. Uh, you know, I get profitability and securing the, you know, their stakeholders and their, and their shareholders and making a return for them because they are a business and that is what they set out to do. But that seems to me to be a little bit obscene. It's very high, but equally, um, all those shareholders could sell the shares and donate the money to charity. So, you know, it's when you follow it through, it's not just the companies because what's happened, the shareholders that get the dividends, which are either the pension funds that are, are supporting you know, pensioners or whatever, investment funds, 
very rich bankers, but also Joe Public, who thinks, great, nice dividend. I've made, I made a few extra grand this year. They could just as easily donate it. So again, everything gets pointed at the corporation. And they do pay an awful lot of tax and they do put a lot of investment back into you know, renewables and everything. Now, obviously, it's all done to their agenda and they're not going to phase out fuel until the, the ground is empty or they absolutely have to. But equally, if they don't put that money into renewables, nobody else is going to. So it really is a catch-22. And unfortunately, the society and politics in general, it, it's not it's not structured to be conducive for the best of the nation because you have two parties, whichever way around they are, that will constantly bicker and try to undermine the other rather than working together for the greater good. And because they're so fearful of the media and social media, that everyone's protecting what they say, who they are, what, what people think about them, and then that just becomes... That just takes precedent over doing the right thing, working together. You've got 650 MPs, and the vast majority of those want to do good. And and if they work together and are allowed to function as a collective group of people for the good of the nation, I think it'd be an absolutely different situation. Do you think it's the system then that's set up that it's too easy for certain the people at the very, very top, you know, as they always say, you know, about power corrupts and ultimate power co- corrupts? Absolutely, or whatever they have. Close enough. Yeah, it's close enough. You know what I'm saying. But do do you think that's the problem and the system is set up to fail? I I don't think the system's set up to fail. I think the the prevalence in the main of of social media's forcing it to fail and, and, and the tabloid press, those two things combined, when they just viciously attack and try to destroy people's careers and try to destroy anything before it's even a chance. I think that's the problem. You you can't, it'd be very hard to have a functioning government if you didn't have the party system where voting would allow them to pass the bills and changes because as we are now, people would just disagree. So they'd never get consensus. I mean, there's, there's policies that you hear it all the time. One party will say, these are the policies and we'll put them through. And the other policies will say, they don't go far enough. They're not right, we'd have done this. But equally, if the first party had said those things, the second party would would absolutely say that's not what we'd have done. They don't go far enough. It doesn't matter what they say. They just argue and just undermines everybody's faith and and just wrecks it. Yeah, I I think party politics definitely, definitely gets in the way. But in terms of, you know, whoever's been in power, whether it is the system, whether it is the constant bickering, whether it is party politics or partisan politics, whichever way you want to look at it, not enough has ever been done for homelessness or the issues that cause it, because really that's how you prevent homelessness. You don't prevent it by giving people who are on the streets money. You prevent it by dealing the court with the causes that are leading people to make the life choices that end up in that situation. And I, and I don't think necessarily the spread of wealth is always the answer to it, but I do think it could be spread more fairly. So what about the second part, which he says about in being able to change the temperature of the earth, if you and I, pay for more taxes or if we pay for those carrier bags at the at the asda or the tesco's or the sainsbury's wherever we choose to shop how do you feel about that that the onus is really put onto us uh well we're the ones that are knackering it aren't we i mean it, it's it's not are the we? trees well, it's not the trees that are ruining the environment are they no but <laughs> no no but it's not you or me oh well, well it, it is the, to, the bit we uh, pay is very small yeah we, we, i was about to say we do but tiny but if every it's only tiny if you look at our actual economic uh, environmental impact from from us now here but we play our part in buying the products that come from the companies which come from the manufacturers that do all of the polluting so yes directly our individual output is tiny 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 but we all of us feed into the source because if we didn't the source wouldn't be there so we're still responsible. We still drive the cars that get the petrol, which come from the factory. We still buy the clothes that are, you know, the denim, which uses, you know, hundreds of litres of water for every pair of jeans or whatever it is, uh, which pumps the microfibers into the sea. We still buy laptops and desks and, and light fittings that are made of plastic that that are sourced and produced in massively um, environmentally damaging, polluting factories. 
So yeah, us individually is tiny compared to them, but they only exist because of us. You're right, but no, you and I both did A level economics. We gloss over how well we did just briefly. We'll gloss over that. We we we'll we'll ride we'll ride off the the level of of, of what we put out there in terms of we're qualified to talk about what we talk about. We've done A level economics. So when we look at Keynesian and monetarist <laughs> economics, yeah, <laughs> briefly. So. There's supply and creating demand and demand creating supply. And obviously, I think probably most people would, would tend to side with the monetarist side of it, that demand creates supply, that if there's the demand for a product, there'll be a company that will rise up supply and make the money off of doing it. But there's also another school of thought is actually if you supply this product, that people are actually going to want it. And if they actually, if they if they supplied a product which was better and more suited to the environment, everybody did, because there are all those products out there tend to be more expensive, tend to be inferior. That's their perception or whether that's the social media perception that they want you to see because they want you to keep buying Coca-Cola. I'm not saying they damage the environment or are costly in any way. Please do not sue me. But there is, there, there is, though, you know, if, if that was the only product available, then we'd buy it, wouldn't we? If it was a necessity or or not a luxury item, but what what's that category of stuff in between? It's not a necessity, it's not a luxury, it's... um. There's another word that sits in between. Can't think. But if it was in that category, you may or may not. But if it's a necessity, if it if you do clothes as a general thing, as a whole, I think it's fairly accepted that we all need to buy and wear clothes. It would not go down well if we didn't, more so in some cases. So if 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 everybody said, right, the price of clothes were going up by 25%, every single item was going up by 25%, wherever it was, socks, underwear, jeans, t-shirts, jackets, everything would go up by 25%, but the damage to the environment would go down by 50%, everybody did it, then absolutely that, that would work. But then capitalism knocks on the door and says, hang on, lot, if you lot are going to make a more expensive product, we're not, and we're going to sell more than you. Mm. Do you know what? It's interesting, and you're quite right there. And God bless Primark and the revolution of employing children in China to produce clothes cheaply for us. But no one goes to shit. You can get a t-shirt for six quid. But that, but it's true though, isn't it? You're quite right. We, you know, our, our morals come out of the, go out the window when we can save a couple of quid, and that is indeed the problem. I always think to Terminator Two, which we talked about when we did our film sequels episode, and there's a bit where John Connor turns to his mom or turns to the robot and says. We're doomed to fail, aren't we? As a species, we're not going to make it. Uh, and I think you might be right. And that, I tell you what, that sets us up seamlessly for the next bit that I'm going to play. I think this is quite a sobering thought. The reason we have never and will never hear from any other civilization is because none of them ever last long enough to contact each other. Well, that is our friend, Mr. Brian Cox, that we mentioned last week. Gaz is, Gaz is a big fan. Is that a sobering thought? It, I actually knew who that one was, and you didn't ask me. Sorry. Got it. That was my chance of glory. <laughs> one of the most famous voices of modern day, and I've got it right. I, it's a sobering thought, and actually me and Albert were discussing that my Albert, my 14-year-old lad, for listeners that aren't, don't know, we were discussing this only a few days ago about, that was Tuesday, about aliens and do they exist? And, and I made that very point that, you know, they could have just come and gone. Because you know we are a pretty self-destructive race, uh, yeah. and I think it's our nature. I think humans are, by default, bad people, bad for each other, and bad for the environment because we're essentially greedy, selfish. That's that's in our nature, and it takes it takes the effort. Sometimes it's subconscious effort. Sometimes it's conscious effort. But it takes effort to be good and kind and do the right thing. But the default is to not do any of those things. And I think when the majority of the population of the planet are acting default mode, they're selfish, they're greedy, and it, it's self-destructive. And do you think that's the reason why we are the dominant race, species, whatever, whatever have you on the planet? Because we are greedy, and it's our self-will, our stubbornness to exist at the the cost of everything else on the planet, and that is ultimately what will be our downfall as well. Well, it, it fits in with, what's his name? Theory of evolution, doesn't it? God, can't remember his name. Most famous person ever. Help me out, Ad. You know? Yeah, I do. What's I can't his remember name? his bloody name. Oh, that fella. <laughs> the fella with the beard who ate the turtles. 
that's that's the one yeah it'll come to us in a minute yeah, um, it will come to us. but that but that is that just that just proves the point doesn't it because if the strongest always survive and we know that to survive you've got to be the strongest and you've, you've got to be ruthless it, it stands to reason that, that the end conclusion will be we'll just destroy ourselves darwin charles darwin charles darwin there we go hence yeah. the darwin awards <laughs> it's a very similar thing, isn't it? If the, the, the most stupidest of us kill ourselves a lot sooner, but it's just a, you know, they're just the extremes of, of the rest of us. Well, the thing is about Darwin as well, just as a slight detour as well. Well, by all accounts, so he was, you know, the, 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 it was the turtles on the island which really helped him to develop his theory of how these things can exist differently. So these, these turtles have found themselves on this small island and existed there. And obviously they got there because, the, you know, and what have you. I'm not going to go into too much detail. But the short and tall of it is, unfortunately for those turtles or tortoises, whichever one they were, they were bloody delicious. And the ones that he took back on the boat, they had to go back and get some more <laughs> because they cooked them. <laughs> Did you know that? makes them. I didn't know, but it, yeah. it kind of makes the point, doesn't it? It do, It really, really does. It. You know, a man that we think about as this very sentient and bright and intelligent man, maybe somebody who could understand his spirituality, instead chose to eat the turtles he came with, with proven his theory, bless him. But yeah, I think for me, I, you know, I think he says it's a very sobering thought, and it is a very sobering thought, that we can believe in aliens all we like, but chances are they've been and gone because they were doomed and they would fail in the same way that we did. For, because for them to exist, they had to be selfish and exist at the cost of everything else. And that is in almost how we are. And those who we just criticise, or I have more so lambasted for being at the very top of our food chain, the ultra-rich, have just done it a little bit better and a little bit more efficiently than the rest of us. But for us to fail... They needed that for them to succeed. And it's that selfishness to 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 exist and to hell with everybody else that has got them where they are. And that's actually the same for us as a species. Yeah, and, that, and there's, there's, I mean, that's one of the, the biggest criticisms, I suppose, of capitalism is that it only succeeds by making lots of people worse off and miserable because you, you, need, you need to trod, tread on people to climb up. Uh, and that's that's how it functions, because if nobody was at the bottom, you couldn't have people at the top. Indeed. Indeed. And like you say, you know, the people at the bottom. So this final quote, moving on quite quickly now, because we're rocketing on towards the hour. I want, I want to play the fifth quote. So I'll let you guess if you know this, fellow. I've got a feeling you might. But again, we're talking about the people at the very, very bottom of society now when, when I play this clip. Apocalypse is here on Earth. It's just not here like right here in Austin. It's not like right here in the studio, but it's in the Congo. Yeah. Like if the, yeah. you go to a cobalt mine in the Congo and you see a 19-year-old woman with a, a baby on her back mining co for cobalt and inhaling toxic fumes, you're like, okay, well, that's the, that's the apocalypse. They have no electricity. They have no clean water. They make very, very little money and they work all day. And they work for a company that puts cobalt into lithium ion batteries that are in everyone's smartphone. So the height of our technology is directly connected to what's essentially slave labor. And that's the apocalypse. I mean, that might as well be the apocalypse. That might as well be Mad Max. That might, it might as well be. I mean, it's just as bad. It's just as horrific. No, I don't know who that is. No. You don't know that is. You, you cannot be a podcaster and not know who that man is. No, I don't know who he is. Joe Rogan. Oh, I know the name. You've talked about him before, but I, the, I've never listened to him. No, well, it's a very long podcast. <laughs> it's a big investment of time. We don't ask. We only ask for half of that until we're ready. But don't you think that's an interesting thing that he talks about there then as well? In terms of these people exist, they don't have the existence that we do. But when you see the footage of them mining the cobalt, and it goes back again, I think, you know, with this, this uh, episode's got a theme to it. They're mining the cobalt for our mobile phones and the life of luxury that we live and for our electric cars if we choose to drive them. And that's how it gets there. And it's an uncomfortable truth that we choose to ignore. It is. And, and you know, the cobalt mines is just one instance. I mean, you mentioned earlier the, the child labour in sweatshops making, making clothes and, and it happens all over. And, and you're right, on the whole, people ignore it. 
and they know it happens and they ignore it. And, they, and I think people know it happens, but don't disbelieve it. I mean, it's not, I don't think this is something that people think, oh, it's just made up. It really does happen. And it is uncomfortable. And everybody ignores it. Some people do their bits. Some people try and buy ethical clothes or fair trade and try and do their bits. But when it comes to your mobile phone, you, you don't have a choice. Uh, I, don't, I don't know of any brands of mobile phones that say their cobalt is ethically sourced. And essentially, there's people out there that are just the modern day slaves in, in you know, probably not on the legal technicality, but essentially they are because they have no options to do anything else. That's that's their existence. They are, for all intents and purposes, they're in an existence that the only way that they can buy their way out of is to do these horrible, horrible things. And the system is so stacked against them in such a heavy and unfair way that they can never, ever achieve that. And there's a, there's a, a fact or a phrase whether it be deemed which that in terms of world hunger could be ended if we all shared out the food that is there equally but for us to do that it would mean that you and i couldn't walk into our shop and have a choice of which watermelon we bought a choice of which grapes we selected and we know and i know from working in retail how much of that finds its way either to be reduced to clear and sold for pennies or go in the bin at the end of the day and it, it's when you break it down and just stop existing, it's uncomfortable, but it's something we'll think about for this hour and then we'll go back to doing what it is that we've always done because that's how we survive as a species. I, I think you're right. And, and it's sad because you look at the fruit and veg aisle and there's so much variety there, but you know, probably 25% of that variety would be more than enough for a nutritious, balanced diet. But because you just want to pick that or that or that, and different people want that or that or that, it means that everything has to come in, which generates the waste and means that that land can't be used for producing more staples to feed the people that don't have the food. And yet, again, it's all coming back round to to capitalism and, and you've got to have the people at the bottom so that the people at the top can have their choice of, of which which three greens they want to put on the plate this week. Mm -hmm. And there's a thing in terms of we want to change the planet. You want to change the world. If you want to make it fair for everybody. What we would have to do is make it less comfortable for ourselves. And the further up the food chain, if you will, that you go, the more and more uncomfortable, and the more and more they would have to give up. And these are the people who are in control of the resources as we are as well. We play our part where every bit is guilty. It's easy to point the finger upwards because we know that the changes we make would not be reciprocated above us and we probably wouldn't be willing to make those changes if we were really honest. Yeah, I wonder if it's a bit I wonder if it's a bit of a perverse circular thing going on here in that I because you know me and Catherine talk about these things, you know, you'd you'd quite happily pay more taxes if you thought that X, Y, or Z was improved, but we don't believe that us pay more taxes result in that actually happening and we don't believe that because of the people at the top the people at the top are saying well, we can't do that unless you pay us more and then they they come out as bad guys that can't be trusted which means you don't pay more which means that you don't change anything it becomes a bit circular they are almost making themselves out that they're not going to use the money wisely so you don't give and, and it just becomes circular so nothing ever happens we're boned, aren't we, really? <laughs> yeah. Break it down. Well, I, I, I always say that, um, which I'm told is very negative and pessimistic. Uh, you know, you're born, you make the best of it, you die. There you go. That's it for this episode, folks. Just the love of God or money, make the best of it. <laughs> Do you want to say goodbyes, dude? <laughs> yeah, a bit of a... Um, bit of a serious one in fact like as having a bit of being interviewed some parts of that <laughs> good <laughs> which uh, i'm sure is your intention um no some very serious things we talk about there and if if any of these sort of you know striking your mind that the how you live your life whether it be your own personal life in seek of happiness or enlightenment or spirituality or how you can actually just change those day-to-day -day actions for the greater good of people around you in your country in the world if you just think about that, have a look around, maybe you can make a bit of difference. And if enough people do, maybe we can make a dent. Indeed, indeed. There, there are enough good people out there that are doing a little bit of good every day to try and make life a little bit better. 
for those that aren't them, you know, for people who are less fortunate. And we, you know, I think you have to salute those. And also, like Dave says, you know, maybe take a bit of time to, to just to, just to be kind. You know, it's very easy to point, you know, the finger and mock. You know, it's so easy to to laugh, so easy to hate. It takes strength to be gentle and kind. Nearly fucked up my Morrissey quote there, but I'm going to leave you on that one. So take care, folks. <laughs> <laughs>